Blog Talk Radio. This is our common ground. Alternative activists empowerment talk radio. Speaking truth to power and ourselves. Who are you? You don't know. Don't tell me Negro. That's nothing. What were you before the white man named you a Negro? And where were you? And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you speak then? As you honor our forefathers and foremothers, I urge you to honor our living heroes. When you honor the names of Matt Turner, Harriet Tubman, and Malcolm X, I urge you to honor the names of Geronimo Gijaga, Sundiata Akoli, Matulu Shakur, and Mumia Abu-Jamal. America's chickens are coming home to roost. Violence begets violence. Hatred begets hatred. And terrorism begets terrorism. Our common ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Thank you for being with us. Stay tuned. Good afternoon, this is Janice Graham, and thank you for joining us on this special edition of Our Common Ground. This morning, in Jacksonville, Florida, Marissa Alexander, who stood her ground to save her life in fear for her life, after having claimed defense under the stand-your-ground laws of Florida, and was denied was sentenced to 20 years in prison. Here at Our Common Ground this afternoon, we are outraged. We are here to rally our community to, the in, to yet another injustice fraught by a faulty, denying justice system for our people. We'll take your calls um, uh following our discussion with Marissa Alexander, and we are honored to have her with us. And please acknowledge and respect the pain and the awful injustice meted out to her this morning. Marissa, are you there? No, she hasn't joined us yet. Okay. Um, Coordinating this is her ex-husband and advocate, Lincoln Alexander. We are going to wait for her to join us from the Duval County uh, Jail. And uh, we need to really be on demand on this issue. We need to be demanding that she be, that the governor of Florida at this point, and we'll talk about that when she joins us, pardons her. We need to talk about this stand-your-ground law and to whom it is beneficial and under what circumstances is a person allowed 
to defend themselves. And with this decision, this Florida criminal justice decision has delivered a debilitating strike against victims of domestic violence, severely restricting the options that victims have to defend themselves against their abusers. Marissa Alexander was sentenced to 20 years in prison for protecting herself against a violent attack at the hands of her husband, during which he threatened to kill her, with full knowledge that he was capable of bringing brutal bodily harm. She had been hospitalized on one occasion. She was in their home retrieving some personal items. She was not living there. She believed that he would not be in the house when she arrived there. Her sister was on her way to meet her, to be with her, to assist her, and this was nine days after she gave birth to a baby girl. Now, let me make a note here. Marissa Alexander, sentenced to 20 years by and charged by prosecuted, charged and prosecuted by Angela Corey. She's a state prosecutor who is also heading up the special investigation in regard to the murder of Trayvon Martin. This is the woman who said to us, about how much she loves justice. But despite all of the evidence before her, Angela Corey insisted to the court that this was not a case of stand your ground and it did not stand the standards of the law. And her father, Raul Jenkins, who lives in Colombia, said that he didn't know half of what was going on with this with his daughter in Jacksonville. She went on trial for her life. We have to understand in the context of what this all means what this all means in terms of both domestic violence and what the courts are willing to do to deliver injustice in our community without consideration of any of the circumstances. Marissa Alexander has now been sentenced to 20 years Um, in prison and she's going to be joining us shortly she does have to call us from the Duval County Jail this is an abused woman who was failed by Florida's self-defense law and one of the questions that we have to ask ourselves is why in the minutes proceeding the murder of Trayvon Martin, 
this law, according to the Sanford, Florida police, would apply to George Zimmerman, who used a 9mm gun to blow a hole in the chest of Trayvon Martin, would be released and spend 51 days not in jail, not charged, and not detained. We knew that Marissa Alexander, who is 31, faced a minimum 20-year prison system for using a gun where she shot it into the ceiling of her kitchen as a warning to this batterer that she would defend herself. No one was killed. No one was injured. Although she endured strangulation, beatings, and hospitalization, including an incident causing the premature birth of her youngest child, she was not allowed to claim self-defense. The courts denied the stand-your-ground law standard because a judge didn't exhaust all options to a said that she didn't exhaust all options. Lincoln, is Marissa with us now? Yes, hello. Marissa Alexander, thank you so very much for joining us uh, at Our Common Ground. I know that this has been a very tough year, and especially today, a very tough day. I want you to know that there are people out here who are committed to making this right whatever we have to do. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Um, Let me ask you um, how you um, responded to the sentencing this morning. I know that you were prepared uh, for this minimum sentencing. But what are are your thoughts right now? Um, Right now, I'm just thinking, you know, to go to distance. You know, I don't... I don't have. I don't even know how to give up. I don't even know how to not fight. All so, right, now you know, I'm with you. you know, given that it, you know, was a sentence that I already knew that had to be, you know, you know, had to come down because it was mandated. It, for me, I had. I'm kind of past that because I knew it was coming. Mm-hmm. Um, now mm-hmm. I'm just preparing myself for, you know, that the, the next part of the, the journey. You know that you know mm-hmm. going through the appeals and things like that. So I was more concerned about my family. Um, than anything, because mm-hmm. I had already prepared myself for the sentence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that your 11-year-old daughter pleaded to the court this morning for justice on your behalf, and I right. just have to say to you, what a wonderful Mother's Day present, even though it must have been very painful for her to have to appear in court. But she volunteered to do it because you have been a mother of love. What were you thinking as you listened to your 11-year-old daughter? I was thinking, that's my girl. <laughs> yeah. I'm so proud of her. Uh-huh, I'm so proud uh-huh. of her. I really was. Yeah, and you, I, you, I, you must be. How did yeah, the court respond to it? Um, you know, it, it was it was interesting. I think they just kind of took it all in. I think it was um, mm-hmm. genuine. You know, it, it didn't sound mm-hmm. like somebody helped her with it. So it was mm-hmm. it was you know I think people just listen. Um, 
listen more than anything. I think they can feel, especially if you have children, they could probably feel that. Um, unless, at least that's what I got out of the body language for the people there. So I think, you know, it was received. It was well received. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, now, let me ask you if you can recount for us, and I want to assure you that I am a person who understands that every person has the right to do whatever it is to defend their lives. Mm-hmm. I under you know, and 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 you were at the most vulnerable point in this battering uh, cycle. That you were, you had been pregnant, you had just given birth, you had left. Tell mm-hmm. us your story, Marissa. Well, you know, the, the hardest thing about it was it, it was the exit. Um, because I knew that I was exiting that relationship. Um, I knew that I could not tell him that I was exiting because it, it that wasn't something I could prepare for at that time, and I, you know, was concerned about my daughter. So what people need to understand is I was staying with my mother um, during the time that after I got out of the hospital because of an incident me and him had. He put he, he basically it caused me to go into pre, premature labor. So once I got out of the hospital. I was three centimeters dilated. I was living pretty much with my mom while he traveled, and that worked out well, so he wouldn't necessarily question that too much. Mm-hmm. Um, he was so a long, was the long-distance uh, truck driver. He is. He is. I uh-huh. know he stated that he wasn't, but he absolutely is. Mm-hmm. Um, and That's um, in so, addition to being a beast, but okay. So <laughs> you yeah, went was, to the so house was, because you didn't think he was going to be there. No, and 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 not only that, he wasn't there that morning. So for me, you know, I had was slowly getting stuff out of the house so that he wouldn't be able to notice large amounts of things that was leaving the house. And um, so when he came home that morning, I was surprised that he even had um, our two stepsons with him. But nonetheless, you know, I had went and bathed Rihanna and you know let him see those pictures of her. And then at that point, is you know instead of him looking at the pictures of Rihanna, he decided, you know, he wanted to review my text messages. From that point, that's that's when everything just went 180 mm-hmm. degrees in the wrong direction really fast, and it, and it got extremely volatile. And what I've noticed, you know, in by my, you know, with him is that if I would have fed into it, it would have got worse. That was the reason why I locked myself in the bathroom. I locked myself in the toilet room inside of the bathroom. But that wasn't, he he was not done. He was not done with me that day. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. at that point, he continued to try to, to get into the bathroom until he just yanked the door completely open. <clears throat> and um, he had my cell phone because that's who he was, he was looking at the message, so he still had my cell phone. I locked myself in the bathroom because I was using it. And when he opened up the door, that's when he confronted me again. And at that point, I had no other choice but to stand up off of the commode because I was literally sitting on the commode because he had it. He was, I was at a disadvantage sitting down with his hands around my neck. Yes. And mm-hmm. that's, that's, when things, that's when things went forward from that point on. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't let, let me, me leave. Let me ask you, when you escaped, you were able to get out of the house but you weren't able to get, you didn't have your car keys. Is that what, is that understanding right. correct? Mm-hmm. Well, I was, I went into the garage to leave, but 
when I was breast I mean, I was breast pumping every two hours. You know, you have to do that just even if the baby's not there. And so I switched everything into the, bronc, the you know, the pump bag. So when I go to the hospital, I don't have to take, you know, four different bags with me. Yeah. So I had just pumped that morning. So my pump and everything with my keys was in the house. So when I left, when I tried to leave, and, and, and this is a matter of seconds. This wasn't a time where the situation calmed down, where he was not screaming and yelling and, any, and cussing me and trying to prevent me from leave or even putting his hands on me. It, it was not a lapse in time. This happened very quickly. So when I passed him on my right to go into the to, to the garage, you have to go to the laundry room to get to the garage, and this is not like an MTV Cribs house, this is a small house, and, uh-huh. you know, once I got there, and I could not get, I, I seen that my lights on my car, because the truck that I have, and mind you, I have one of the biggest SUVs, so it's a huge truck, and it's in the garage, and my lights wasn't illuminated, and I knew that I didn't have my li- have my keys, and then I could not get out through the garage at the point. Mm-hmm. Now, when... And then you went in to get your keys, and that's when you discharged your weapon into the in, into the ceiling. And 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 yes, and what happened was I had to get some protection because he looked. When I looked back into the house, it kind of got quiet for a second because they were supposed to be leaving. He said, "Y'all put your shoes on. We're gonna go." And I thought they were gonna be leaving, but I knew that if he didn't, because he was so angry, I needed to protect myself. When uh-huh. I went back into the house is when he confronted me in the kitchen. His car was never in the garage. His car was on the in on the outside and the garage door and where I was going back into the house because I had no other way else to go is on the completely opposite side of the front door. So if he wanted to leave he could have left. He didn't want to leave, he wanted to fight. He wanted to continue what he started in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. So when he confronted me in the bathroom I mean in the kitchen, um when I was trying to exit out because I have to go through the laundry room, go to the kitchen, and go back to the room to get my keys, it's when he saw me, and he basically, once he saw the weapon in my hand, in my, my in my hand, I don't, I just, I guess, I guess that enraged him even more, and that's when he threatened to kill me. Mhm, mhm. Now let me ask you about his call. He called the police. Right. When the police arrived. What was your interaction with the police officers? Um, once I was able to find my phone and realize, because they had been contacting me and contacting me and contacting me, so at this point it was getting ready to get into a SWAT situation, which I'm so grateful it did not, because I didn't, what I wasn't going to do is go outside the door because I knew that's where he left and I didn't want to go out there where he was, so I was looking for my um, my cell phone. Once I got them on the phone, you know, he he kind of went into me, and then I could hear my sister saying to him, you need to ask if she's okay. And then he asked me, was I okay? And I said no, and I started crying, and I let him know and that I was coming out of the house, I was going to have one hand on my phone and one hand up, and that I was going to exit the house. Once he, once I got out there, they pretty much uh, handcuffed me, and a, a female officer uh, just patted me down, and he put me in the back of his car. Um, nobody ever asked me, you know, about any injuries or anything like that, you know. But I did let him know um, that he needed to go in and look at that, look at that house, look at the bathroom because it started in the bathroom and he 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 choked me. And not only that, he threw me against the door and the door had cracked. I told him to go in there and look at that. And I explained to him I have an, an injunction in place for no violence. And I was fearful that he was going, what he was going to do to me. 
So when you were put in the car by the police officers, mm-hmm. did they question you about the what the events, what had happened? N- not really, not really. He he didn't question me until he was getting ready to, um, I guess, give me the the um, was it the Miranda rise me is when mm-hmm. he started to to ask me questions. But I had, I had sat back there I don't know for how long before the questions started to come. Mm-hmm. Now you with, testified um, you testified in your in your in your trial uh, about the prior violence against you and the physical injury to you and you testified that you had just given birth you testified about the events that you just described uh that happened in the house that morning right why do you believe that the the judge denied the stand your ground standard in your case you know, it, this is what it became clear to me at some point because I had no idea about standard ground, and my attorney brought it to me. And what was becoming clear to me was that it was this um, this this apprehension from the the court to approve it or to to I guess I should say um, grant it. And so I started. I was like, well, I didn't understand that because that was I mean, isn't that the law? But my attorney was letting me know that other people had, you know, used it, but nobody over there had actually been granted it. Now, from what I understand, because I don't want to put any misleading facts out there, there might have been one or two judges who, or that have granted maybe one or two, but I'm I'm pretty sure that I know of three or four personally women that mm-hmm. have used it and has it has been denied as well as males. And so mm-hmm. at one point when I was in another court. Um, Another judge flat out told my attorney that she was going to deny it before he even knew the facts, the argument, or anything. He didn't know anything. It, had, it wasn't even his case. And he just asked my attorney, because we were waiting on that mo- on, on the hearing, and he asked him what kind of hearing it was. And then this, this judge basically said she's going to deny it. And he didn't know anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then I said to myself, okay, well, I can probably see where this is going. Well... You know, it is clear, the record is clear that no black people have been the beneficiary under the standard of stand your ground in the state of Florida. Nobody. But let me ask you about the testimony um, in your trial. Mm -hmm. According to the motion uh, entered by your attorneys, Mm -hmm. it indicates that your battering, abusive, husband mm-hmm. contradicted his statements about what had happened. Right. That he he talked about he, he described it in three different ways. Yes. And that his children you have contradicted his on this um, testimony. I know that you're gonna have to call back in Marissa and thank you mm-hmm. so very much and we'll wait for your call uh, when you okay. come back, and we can talk about the the, the trial. And then I, I want to talk about what it is we need you to do. I know that you have uh, an appeal coming up, and that has to be paid for, and there are some other horrific features of your case that we want to talk about. 
You're listening to Our Common Ground in our live interview with Marissa Alexander from her Duval County jail cell, and she's going to have to call back in because the calls are 15 minutes at a time. You have 10 seconds left on this call. We want to thank um, Lincoln Alexander, who is her ex-husband, and he is her advocate and providing leadership on bringing this case to the attention of people who love justice. I'm Janice Graham, and when we come back from this very short break, we hope that um, Melissa, Marissa Alexander will be joining us again. Thank you so much for being with us. This is our common ground. Bold, brave, black. Speaking truth to power and ourselves. Talk that matters. Lincoln, you can just let let me know when uh, Marissa comes back on um, the line. For those of you who are listening and you want to know more about this case, you can go to justiceformarissa.blogspot.com. You also can help by donating uh, money for her appeal. It's wepay.com donations one seven eight. Seven eight five. Okay. We pay. com donations one seven eight seven eight five. You can also go to www.marissaalexander.com to learn more. We should be outraged. We cannot allow this to stand. This is this is the great ad that we have just witnessed time after time. Oscar Grant. Sean Bell, Trayvon Martin, Mumia. At some point, we have to stand our ground. And we're going to be talking about that during this broadcast. Melissa's going to be with us in the first hour. And when she has to leave us, I'll be taking your calls. And you can call us at 347-838-9852. This is Our Common Ground, where we speak truth to power. And ourselves. Marissa, are you back? Yes, ma'am, I'm back. Baby, I just want to call you baby. I just want to hug you. I just want to say to you that you keep understanding and knowing that you did the right thing. And there are your brothers and sisters out here that we know, we know, and we acknowledge that you did what you had to do to stay alive. So when you when you were arrested and you went to 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 court, uh, you went to the hearing, you were released. And one of the questions that I think it would be uh, good to have you talk about is how you last February got back into jail without bond. Mm-hmm. Well, basically, I was on a I guess at this point, which is called a conditional release. And during that time, he put an injunction out, but the, pur- the sole purpose of that was to get custody of my baby. Um, she was she was still in the hospital at that time. So uh, my understanding was when I got re- released with that bond, 
hey, hey, hey. When I got released with that that bond, is that it was it was because it was a no it was no contact, but I thought it was based on the injunction that was in place. I did not know that it was a bond that you know also spoke no contact, and then it was also an injunction. So it was two it was two things. Two so one judge mm-hmm. signed a bond exactly, and then one judge signed for the injunction. The injunction. So I, I didn't. Mm-hmm. Right, so I I didn't know that one superseded the other, or, or you, you understand what I'm saying? I didn't I didn't yes. understand that. Mm-hmm. So what happened was he did he did about a month and a half later contact me and I let him know I can't speak to you and I called my attorney and I let him know at that time it was not this, the one that I had during trial it was another one and um, the next day when I spoke to my attorney he let me know. That um, that he had removed the injunction and that he had contacted him because he wanted to help and he wanted to tell the truth. So um, during that time, um, as I relate, as I understand it, it was it was it was dropped. I had no idea that again this other pretrial release superseded the injunction one and it was two different things. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was going to pretrial services, I let the people know. They asked me if I had had contact. I said yes. He's contacted me. Um, they asked me, well, we're going to reconcile. I said, absolutely not. During that time, I got divorce papers drafted up. Um, the attorney said, well, don't serve them yet because then you're going to have to do the whole mediation. And I said, okay, fine. So I did not file them. Um, you know, I, I, I wanted him to have a relationship with her. He wanted to have a relationship with her, but I was cautious um, during that time to even let that happen even then. The December 30th incident came as I needed to keep insurance on her. Um, she was sick during that time. I needed to keep insurance on her. And also, um, so I, I went ahead and sent him an email from work because I, I was trying to make sure that I could let them know. Because Rihanna's name is obviously not the same as mine. Um, her name is Rihanna Gray. Mine is, you know, Alexander. So my insurance company needed proof that she was actually, I was actually the mother. So I needed to get the birth certificate, and I asked him would he sign it so that she can keep the um, insurance. And he told me that he would. So, um, mind you, you know, he moved less than a mile from my house, you know, even after this incident happened. It was less than a mile from where I, where I stayed. And then that's when um, when I went around there to go ahead and, you know, let him know. I mean, we, there was an understanding of what it was going to be. And I let him visit with Rihanna. Didn't stay long. And then when I was trying to leave is when I said, okay, you know, you he wanted to keep Rihanna. That was the thing. He wanted to keep her. And I was like, that's not going to happen. But you can keep her once we establish the, the custody rights and, you know, visitation and that thing, and that's when he was upset. And I told him how I was going to do that was just sign the divorce papers. You can sign the divorce papers. I had those as well as the birth certificate, and he just lost it. Uh-huh. And, did, and he attacked you? Yes, he did. And at that point, I was I, – I, he he beat – was, this was in the garage in, in his – he had a one car garage at the place that he lived at and he did he he attacked me in there and then he was trying to get his, his, his two sons who were in the house to call the police and I was like, Look guys, I'm not trying to cause this problem. I just want to make sure that Rihanna gets her um insurance. At this time he didn't even want to give me the paper he signed. I said, Okay, no problem. So anyway, he 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 hit on me a couple of times, actually in my head, and my um, had knots in my head. I was trying to block him from hitting my head, so I had a um, big bruise um, on my arms and bruises on my arms from blocking him from hitting on me. And so that's how that second incident happened. Mm-hmm. I actually went to the hospital that night. Mm-hmm. And for our listening audience, we're talking about a woman who's about approximately five two, five three, um, Marissa. 
Mm-hmm. I'm 5'1". Five 5'1", one. Five one, 160 mm-hmm. pounds, and a man who stands at 5'9", 240 pounds. Um, so the police arrived, and the court decided to remand you back to, to, to jail, and you've been in jail since February uh, 2011. Well, you know, I'm gonna intru- I'm gonna I'm gonna give this piece of information that I thought was interesting. When the when when the state wanted to revoke my bond, and what I was under a judge named Judge Morrow, rest in peace, he's passed away. And when he heard the specifics of that case and what you know, he, what he had done and his history and the deposition that he gave, that judge at that point decided not to revoke my bond. He said, I'm not comfortable with it. And so what he did was he put me on an ankle monitor, and then that I was out until he recused himself from my case um, because of appeared, uh, I think, conflict of interest. It was a back and forth between that state at the time about if it was a male, it would have been different. And he just told her, hey, you know, that's kind of the way it is. So he recused himself. At that point, I then got under a different judge, and then the state revisited the bond revocation again, and then that judge revoked my bond. And this is the woman judge, and her name is? Um, Elizabeth Centerfet. Elizabeth Centerfet. Okay. So tell us about, uh, there are two things that really ring in my mind right now and that is about his contradictory testimony and the fact that his children even corroborated your story about the initial incident. Um, his 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 um, oldest son, basically, towards the end of this this this, because this has been going on almost two years. Um, when this, when he went and he did his deposition, that was about the closest you were going to get to the truth. And, and the thing is, I, I mean, I know him, and there's always a purge after he feels guilty for something. You know, he did it with me. If he and felt like true oh, God, bat- I was all batterers. Uh-huh. Right. So he would come, and he was like, I know, I, I, he told me, he said, I just, I knew I was wrong that day. And he said, I just, I should have just left, is what he said. And he said that he wanted to help. So that's what he told that my then attorney, and that's what he did. Um, and at that point, his boy's testimonies did not get actually taken in a deposition um, until months later after the fact. But for the most part, they corroborated a lot of the stuff um, that I said had happened. And then the oldest son, he, um, he too also corroborated my story. And, and all of that was entered into uh, the, the hearing on your stand your ground. Well, at the hearing, that was at the hearing. The first half of the hearing was just my testimony, and then um, Rico's testimony, and then the second half of the testimony was everybody else. And at at that time, it at that time it was obvious, at least I believe to everyone that was there, who the aggressor was and what actually happened. The details become real fuzzy around at the actual point where I discharged my weapon, and that's because they were not they simply were not in the room they just were not and so if you listen to them in their testimony and read their actual depositions, they don't match and then at this point, uh-huh. Rico had already impeached himself as well. You know, it is hard, as people listen to you, it is very hard to believe that 
a court would allow this to go forth, no matter how much Angela Corey has beaten down the press and beaten down every every everyone else uh, in this regard. Um, you know, you're, you're, she has released the 911 tape. She has done all of the things that um, to prevail in in this case. Uh, let me ask you about your daughter. Mm-hmm. You have you have you have twins who are eleven, and um, a boy and a girl. Mm-hmm. How? Tell us about your 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 relationship and your family's relationship with the baby at this point. I mean, right now it's non-existent. I mean, and that that's something you have to absolutely surrender. Because that's something that make you that make you go crazy. Um, again, that, that's a very tough subject because you know mm-hmm. we we mm-hmm. I mean she you know I mean I I mean I she has family that loves her. She has other siblings, um, mm-hmm. and 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 I have to to commend my family because they have at the worst of times between me and him have never done anything to him, threatened him ever. And to be in a position where there is any, there isn't any civility through even members of his family that will be willing to allow Rihanna to have a relationship with us is um is is, is mind boggling to me. So I mean, this is a child I breastfed and went and sat in the hospital with and left and came back and stayed at three o'clock in the morning and left. And you know you understand and, and then to bring her home and then to to. She was seven months. I just haven't, I haven't seen her since she was seven months, and she's twenty. She's getting ready to be two, and she's a girl. And mm-hmm. I, everybody, I mean, everybody else in his family or, or either his his girlfriends or whoever he's dating at the time has a relationship with her, but her mother. And the thing mm-hmm. is, he can't. There would no. I'm gonna always be her mother. Nothing is gonna ever change or replace the fact that Marissa is her mother. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Has your attorney done anything in regard? Now, has your parental rights been um, uh, abrogated? No, absolutely not. Okay. He did threaten me to sign him over, but I that was I was not signing over my rights. Uh huh. Okay. So um, that's 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 not a uh, uh, um, you could very well somehow engage your own mother or sister in making mm-hmm. sure that you have some contact with your daughter. And we have, and we have tried that. We have absolutely tried that, but he has been unwilling because um, I, I guess one report said that, you know, DCF or, you know, Child Protection Services w- was contacting him, but they were doing what they call their job. So if a report was made and and they do ongoing investigation, it, it's not because somebody called in another case. It's because it's ongoing investigation. And so what he did was he in turn interpreted that we were targeting him and calling him, so he cut off all communication with us altogether. And mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. just you have the truth. Sixty so seconds. Anyway, um, my mom has tried to get grandparents right. She can't because me and him are legally still married. So any one of my family members would be willing to go through a third party or whatever okay. needs to be done for us to, to have a relationship with her. They would do it. Mm-hmm. Now, at the heart of 
this injustice, Marissa. And, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a grandmother and I'm a mother of an adult woman. We want you to know that we really acknowledge the pain in all of this. This is such a miscarriage of justice. But at the core of it is a lying prosecutor. Now, Angela Corey, you have for our listeners, is the person... Left on this call. Did you need to call back in, or... or you yeah, yeah. In? Okay. okay. Angela Corey, the lying prosecutor, who insisted... This woman has badgered the press. She has badgered lawyers. She certainly has a string of um, attachment and connection to the governor's office and to the Republican uh, um, Party and the Tea Party, um, making her name and label in the state of Florida. She has connection to these attorneys and to the lawyer and to the judge, specifically the judge who revoked Marissa Alexander's bond. She went into court. And she insisted, despite all of the testimony, despite even the police report, she corroborated and supported the lying testimony of this Rico Gray husband, batterer, beast man. And she indicating that Marissa pointed the gun at him. This is what he alleges. This is what Corey went with. When all of the evidence, now keep in mind for those of you who do not really know this case, no one was hurt, no one was injured, no one was killed. The children deny the fact, the children who were present in the house, deny the fact that they were in the room. His child, her stepchild, son, has contradicted his description of what happened. Yet, this is a woman who has been sentenced to 20 years. Now, for those of you who pay attention, you know that the officers who murdered Oscar Grant didn't get 20 years. You know the officers who murdered Sean Bell, didn't get 20 years. You know that if someone most times in this country are charged and convicted of first-degree murder, they get life. But if it's second-degree murder, they never get beyond 20 years. And we have to... We have to sit here and think. Where's the justice? We're back home, Janice. Thank you, Lincoln. Marissa, thank you for joining us one more time and, and staying with us. And I am so honored that you chose me to do this exclusive interview. And thank you so very much. I hope that I can continue to honor, to 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 uh, to to confirm that respect. I, I I thank you so very much. Now let's talk about the testimony 
in this case, Marissa. Your Rico Gray alleges that you pointed the gun at him. Rico Gray, Angela Corey, pursued that line as fact. When all of the other witnesses contradict that, why do you think that this prosecutor and this court and these judges accepted the the testimony, which changed three times, from a batterer with a record. Why do you think that is? Um, from what my, from, I mean, never being in any trouble or being in the system, from what I can understand is that um, um, her stance, she has a, a very strong um Drug, I mean, drug and, and gun, you know, uh, that's that's pretty much her her thing. For she she stands really strong on those things. That's what I understand. Yeah, um, she was the one who shackled a twelve year old child for thirty days in a courtroom. That's who Angela Corey is. Oh, okay. I'm not. I'm not. I'm sorry. I'm not familiar yeah. with that. But I, I understand that you know that was her her stance. Now, as far as um, his, his switching his story and why they I, be honest with you, I'm confused about that because I can't understand how we we would allow a pervert, you know, somebody to pervert, you know, justice and completely perjure, and then take them serious anything they say after that because he's shown that he's a demonstrated liar and that he is incapable of telling the truth. So I'm confused as to why at this point, even after the fact, we take what he said. Is law. I, I just I don't understand that. I, I couldn't even tell you what her thought process is on that. Mhm. Mhm. Well, um, we've got some ideas about that, you know. And one of the things that it's been shown over and over in cases of domestic violence, where black and brown women defend themselves, they end up in prison. Our our jails, folks, our jails and prisons are filled with women who decided they wouldn't take it anymore and they decided to stand their ground. And there are some dead and injured men, but women didn't get 20 years. Um, let me Let me ask you about what is ahead for you, Marissa. Where will, do you have an idea where they will place you? Um, well, yeah, I'll, I'll go to a facility in Gainesville, which is basically the um, receiving center. Um, I'll stay there for about uh, four to six weeks, and then at that point they'll move me to another location, and I, I guess it'll be where they'll house me for the duration of, you know, whenever this appeal works through. Uh-huh. What specifics, I'm not, I'm, as far as specifics, I'm not quite sure about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I, I I want people to also know that people like Angela Corey are elected officials. They're ele- judges and prosecutors are elected officials in the state of Florida. But one of the things I want you to do, um, Marissa, is reiterate for us that your faith that we can prevail in this. I mean, you shouldn't be telling us that trying to help us and but I think that your strength and your courage comes from a very deep place 
and I am so enamored and respectful of how strong you have been because I've been saying to Lincoln when I'm calling him, how's Marissa doing? And he continues to say, Marissa is strong. And you that's know, from I, a I, I, place. I can't, I can't attribute that to anybody but my, my Heavenly Father. I can't. You know, Jesus is my rock. That is the only way, the absolute only way I have been able to keep myself from, you know, going into a dark side. And, it's, and, and especially when you, you know, I'm, I'm, this is not my lifestyle. I'm not, you know, a, a repeat offender. I don't, you know, I don't even, you know, I don't really associate with anybody that has been in any trouble because, I, I mean, I just, that wasn't my circle. You, you understand what I'm saying? Yes, so I, I this do. This has been, mm-hmm. this you've has been very, You've done the right you know, things and you've tried to be right. a good and strong woman and take care of your family, and this is at the end of that. But it's not, Marissa. I want no, you to no, know no. we're we're ready for the fight out here. <laughs> I just I'm amazed at it. I mean, when I wrote it, I, you know, after I had lost trial, I was I was so numb, and for days I couldn't feel. I couldn't even pray for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. Um, and then something in me was like, you should just write it down, right? You know, based on the conversation that me and my mother had, right? And that's one thing I've been blessed with the gift is I, I write well. Um, and uh-huh. so I wrote, and so when we speaking with my family, this this thing this thing took off, and so you know here we are, and and again you know it's 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 just not about you know it, it's a whole lot of underlining issues, but at the very you know to me it's such a, a human rights issue. You know, we, you, if you try to do everything you're supposed to do, you get on the right side of the law, you do what you you, you know what they tell you to do. And then it does not work for you, and then somebody's trying to, to define your fear or tell you that you're angry. I just I don't I don't understand that at all. I mean, then tell me you would have been better off to take somebody's life. I, I don't have that in me. Yeah, don't have that in me. And some people yes. do, but I do not. And so yes. I'm grateful that I didn't, and I'm grateful that it was not fatal. And like I said before, self-defense does not always have to be fatal. But I'm grateful to be here today. Okay. Let me ask you, there are many people listening to this broadcast. What can we do for you? I have been asking people to write letters to you, to communicate with you, to donate to your uh, legal defense fund. Um, And I, I just, you know, one of the things I wanted to do was to send a gift to your children today for the courage that they showed in their support of you. We can become grandmothers and grandfathers to your children to help with your, you know, to make them strong and keep them strong. But what can we do for you? I believe that, you know, everything that everybody's doing now, just taking an an, an interest in listening and then spreading the word and and, and those things that you've already listed, You've already listed Those are all very helpful um, The people have that have written me so far I wrote them back I will write people back I have nothing mm-hmm. but time And I love to yeah. write So if you'd like to hear from me well, I will write you one back of the things, One of the things that I am hoping And I was going to talk to Lincoln about it I love letter writing I think letter writing is an art And I have sent you one letter But I'd like to to, to take the correspondence and be able to share it publicly 
uh, on a special part of my website. The other thing that I do want people to know, later in this broadcast, we are going to be talking very specifically about some things that can be done uh, on Marissa's behalf. But one of the things I want you to know, Marissa, is that we're calling on our ancestors. We're sending up prayer for you to stay strong, to be strong, and to be able to move through this going forward. The other is that our outrage is is so big that the people who have, in many ways, caused this injustice, they're going to be called to account, to political account, to moral account, and to citizenship account on uh, about this case. I am committed to you, my sister, that this will not go past. Uh, if it takes whatever it takes, I am willing to take the leadership in working with Lincoln and your sister and your mother to make something different happen here, to have an outcome which, which fits what you deserve, and that is you deserve justice, and you have not gotten it. Thank so, you. I'm, I'm just grateful for, uh, you know, all of the support and everybody that's listening, and, and even the ones that's had questions, because, I mean, the conversation happens, the dialogue happens, and then you find the answers, and then from that point, hopefully somebody's helping, and, and, and again, you know, anything to help me get me get justice and get back home to my family and, and other people to get justice as well because this has happened to other people in my in my situation as well. The 20-year minimum mandatory sentence for being rightful owners of weapons and using them in a self-defense, I mean, and then just women and, and everybody else, it's just it's affecting a lot of people. So I'm just really thankful for everybody who's listening and who's offered up support and got on the blogs and offer donations and then continue to keep it coming in and talk on the blogs and write letters and, of course, prayers. They avail of much, so I thank you very much. Well, let me ask you a, a, a final question about your 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 batterer. I can't call him a husband. I can't call him a man. He's a batterer and he's a lying batterer. But that being said, is there any possibility that he would be willing to recant his testimony? You know, I, I honestly, at this point, I mean, it, it's gone to a level that I don't even think he realizes it would go, it would have went to. I mean, uh -huh. quite frankly, if he recanted his story, would you believe him? I mean, because he's done it so many times. You know, mm -hmm. if, mm -hmm. you know, if he if he was to seriously seek some help and then pride wasn't an issue, then perhaps. Mm -hmm. But it would mm -hmm. be difficult for anybody to take him seriously because he's allowed mm -hmm. for something to go so far. You know what I'm saying? I really just yes. hope he gets some help, and then I really hope I can get a relationship with my daughter. Mhm, mm mhm. Um, in in terms of, um, I have said this publicly, and I want to say it public, publicly again, is whether or not uh, in, inside all of the 
confusion around organizing to get some traction on your case for justice for you, I just want to say that Lincoln Alexander is a man to be respected. He is your ex-husband. Yeah. He is your friend, but he has yeah. he has come forward and he stands as a man in your defense, and that takes a you lot. Have it is sixty rare, very on rare. This call. Yeah. I know he, that he you're going to have have. Yes, he's a he's a wonderful man, and I will always be grateful uh, to him. Uh, for the friendship that he has extended to you, dis- despite I mean, you got to know this man loves you. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm just a I'm just an older yeah. woman trying to tell you, sister. This is a yeah, man who loves you, and he knows what love means, and that even though you've divorced, and that he has, he understands that in the in the in the world of love. A divorce doesn't remove it, right. and I just want to—I have so much respect for you him. You have ten seconds left on uh, you this have call. Ten, you have ten yeah. seconds, Dennis, uh, Marissa. Thank you so How much. Go ahead. Did we lose her? Yeah, she's off. Okay, we're going to take a break, and is she going to come back, Lincoln? I don't know. Okay, we'll we'll see if she does. We're going to take another break. You're listening to Our Common Ground in our live discussion with Marissa Alexander. This morning she was sentenced to 20 years for aggravated assault while she defended her life and was denied her standing under the Stand Your Ground law in Florida. We're going to talk about this lying prosecutor. We're going to talk about the contradictory testimony and the evidence that was before this court that denied her true justice. I'm Janice Graham, and I want to thank Lincoln Alexander for helping us make this possible, and I want to thank Marissa Alexander for choosing me uh, to do this exclusive interview from her jail cell in Duval County, Florida. That is Jacksonville. And in this next hour, we're going to talk about what you think, what you're planning to do, and how we can make justice happen for Marissa Alexander. I'm Janice Graham. We'll be right back. You're listening to Our Common Ground, where real talk I'm Janice Graham. Join us in our conversation. It's time. It's time to be black, bold, and brave. Transforming truth to power. One broadcast at a time. Our Common Ground.
our views at TruthWorks Network. The Black Voice Collaborative on talk radio, on the internet, and the black street. The best of empowerment broadcasts from across the internet. Power Views. Rebroadcasting the power. Reloading the truth at TruthWorks Network. Common Ground, a special edition. We've just had our interview with um, Marissa Alexander. We're going to check to see if she is going to return. Lincoln, is she able to call back in? No, she isn't. Okay. My guest now is Lincoln Alexander. He is the ex-husband advocate for Marissa Alexander. Lincoln, i got to tell you, I know why you love her. The girl's got her head on right. She's courageous. She's wise. And uh, we really ought to have every kind of outrage about what has happened to her and how the American justice system has meted out um, such un- and injustice to into her life. Um, if you want to know more about Marissa... Alexander's case, uh, you can go to justiceformarissa.blogspot.com if you'd like to donate to her legal defense um, fund. It's wepay.com backslash donations backslash 178785. And thank you all for being with us here at Our Common Ground. Lincoln, uh, what was your response this morning uh, as you heard the sentencing? I was I, I was okay. I was more concerned about how the kids would, would feel. And even though we, we had talked about it and they understood what was about to happen, I, I still had a concern for them. But they really wanted to be there and show their support for their mother. Mhm. Now, your daughter we're we're talking about your children, the 11-year-old twins. That's um, correct. And tell us what your daughter said this morning in court. <laughs> this is Habalin, right? That's correct. 11 Hab- years old. Mhm. Mhm. She she said some things that talked about um, things things not being fair. How is it that her mom could be beaten and she's the one that's arrested? How is it that my mom can can face a, a penalty of twenty years, but she didn't hurt anyone? Justice isn't fair, and she she made a, a, a smart remark saying, "Come on, really." She also talked about her mom in general, what she means to her, the things that she missed, the times that they, they've shared together. She really missed those 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 times. But and she also wanted everyone to know that she is not giving up. Amen. Ashe. Uhuru. <laughs> 
you've done a wonderful job with these children because um, I don't know very many 11-year-olds who could who could go before a court facing the possibility of losing their mother for 20 years and speak truth to power. She had a determination, and I, I'll, I'll tell you, both my kids have been bugging me about what can they do to help. Daddy, can I do this? Can I do that? I, I really want to help. And I, I kept their focus on schoolwork because that is what is really important right now. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I keep them in, involved in, in multiple activities so that they they have something to, to look forward to. They they around other kids. They they are in a team atmosphere, having fun, playing a, a, a game, whether it's football, baseball, basketball. So I, I keep them involved in a lot of things so that they continue to, to grow up and, and hopefully not have this negatively affect them. Their, their schoolwork has been untarnished. I, I, I was talking uh, with another individual earlier this morning. Haviland just made the A, B honor roll. And, and my son, he had five A's, one B, and one C. So he just barely missed the A, B honor roll. So I, mm-hmm. I I would say that my, my kids have responded remarkably well, despite of the the breakup of the family, the challenges mm-hmm. that that we have faced. Mm-hmm. But they now li- to be strong. Now Lincoln, you know that it's been my tendency on this particular case because I spent four years on a case with Kimba Smith, who also received 24 years mandatory minimum sentence without the possibility of parole regarding a a crime that she did not commit, and she was also a victim of domestic violence. And I'm ready to go gorilla on this lying, um, the the, the lying um, husband, batterer, beast man who would allow this woman out of his cowardness, because you have to be a coward to be a batterer. You've got to have, uh, you've got to be dysfunctional in terms of what you understand about uh, your relationships with other people. But, you know, I I have to wonder, I look at this, uh, last night there was a town hall meeting that you attended, and I want you to tell us about that in support of Marissa but how does this man live in this community, continue to live in this community, having committed this crime? I don't. I can't speak to how he is able to continue to go on and, and, and not try to, to lend a helping hand. There was a, a letter supposedly uh, sent by him into the court to be read, but I... I would like to keep the focus really on Marissa and the injustice and not give mm-hmm. him any, yeah. any time. We, we we did a town hall meeting, and it it's really important that we we do these type of meetings to make sure that no misinformation gets out. We continue to talk about the fact of the case and why why this is a true injustice for Marissa Alexander. So this is just the start of many town hall meetings to come. 
that will allow a true grassroots movement to occur. Every time we, we have these type of meetings, we encourage each person that attends and listens to these facts to tell at least 10 friends. And each, and mm-hmm. each, each friend that is told, that is how we, we multiply the, the knowledge mm-hmm. that is out there. We dispel any type of false rumors. So that's why mm-hmm. it's really important for us to, to have these town hall meetings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and was there a large crowd at the town hall meeting last night? I, I did see a news report from the Jacksonville, one of the Jacksonville local stations. Was there a large uh, gathering? There, no, there wasn't a large gathering for the, the first one. But there, there was a uh, a nice gathering for the rallies that we had last night and and also this morning. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. So we, we so we're people... truly building a very good foundation. That that's what's uh-huh. really important is is building a, a good foundation. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things to our listeners that I'm hoping that you will do will inc- is to write letters to. Uh, our community organizations like the NAACP, the Urban League, the the Truth Fighters, or whoever organizations that you are familiar with that you know about, to go to Facebook page walls and and post this story so that we can get those organizations in support of uh, Marissa Alexander. One of the most glaring things that I find in this case is that all of the domestic violence, anti-domestic violence programs, uh, advocacy groups in the state of Florida have not rallied around this woman. And one of the things that I have been doing is writing to them and asking them why not. Um, So I think that's some of the things that we can do. We're going to open up our lines here at Our Common Ground and take your calls. Our number is 347 838 9852. When you dial in, you must press 1 in order to be brought on the air, and you can talk with Lincoln Alexander and talk with me and express some ideas or notions that you have about this needs to garner as much support across the country as possible. Now, there is a way that you can uh, do as much as you can for Marissa. One is to continue to call Governor Rick Scott. His number is 850-488-7146. We should be outraged at Judge James Daniel, even though he didn't have an option. He could have... um, he could have done something. I don't know what he could have done. And here we have State Attorney Angela Corey, who has the power to remove the mandatory who had the power to remove the mandatory twenty year sentence and she did not. She's better known as a special prosecutor for George Zimmerman Trayvon Martin case. Her telephone number is nine zero four Six three zero two four zero zero. No matter how she feels about stand your ground, and in this case, the evidence is there. So we're going to go to our phones. 
843, you're on the air. I respect you. We're with Lincoln Alexander. Thank you for your call. Hi, Janice. Hi, Lincoln. This is Nancy Lockhart. Nancy Lockhart, thank you so very much uh, for um, helping us make the connection here with the uh, Marissa Alexander case. Oh, you're welcome. I thought it was important. If you don't mind, I'd like to, I have one point that I would like to um, kind of clarify. When Uh Marissa's bond was revoked, I'd like for the public to know that the attorney who uh, had prepared her divorce and um, whatever else never advised her of using a process server or using the uh, local the sheriff's department, mm-hmm. a, a private process server, or the local sheriff or police department. Yes, and she was never. That's very I, important. I didn't know if that had been brought out, but I just wanted to. Um, well, to make that one clear. of the, the points I want to make, especially for listeners, because I think that every moment on, on uh, before this microphone is a teachable moment, and that is if you are planning an exit from. Uh, a violent relationship or marriage or home, you have to have a very good exit plan. And that should entail being in touch with someone who understands the local laws and the local governance around this. Um, It was a big mistake. It was a big mistake whether or not there was an injunction or an order. When you are a a victim of domestic violence, once you leave, with the exception of having law enforcement with you, you should never, ever go back. Mm -hmm. Women have died trying to figure out having not figured out that a batterer is always a batterer and is always ready to attack. And that is how women die in these situations. Have a good exit plan. Have an exit plan that you have checked with professionals. And it is especially important if you are pregnant or if you've just had a baby or if you have already left to never go back. Um, but Melissa, you know, I'm Marissa, I understand uh, victims do it all the time because they cannot believe it, it's they're trying to make sense of a situation that makes no sense. You're absolutely. I'm glad you you brought that up, Nancy, and thank you for the work that you are doing on behalf of Marissa Alexander. And we do have another website that we want to inform you of. It's www.marissaalexander.com. And your action alert, Nancy, was wonderful, and it was just so helpful. Um, oh, good, good. That, I'm glad. That, that we got from yeah. you. We're going to go okay, to Okay, well, a, thanks. Thanks, and I want to hang up. Bye-bye. Okay, thank you, Nancy, for uh, helping us get that very important clarification. Uh, we've got 803. You're on the air. I respect you. Thank you for your call. Hi, Janice. This is Karen Jenkins. I'm actually Marissa's stepmother. Um, and oh, I just wanted- thank you for calling. Well, I wanted to 
thank you for for taking time out of your schedule to uh, take on this this case and do the story on Marissa and do the live interview. And we definitely needed that. And also Nancy because she was the, the catalyst of it all as far as getting it out there on the map. And of course, uh, um, my son-in-law uh, Bernard. Uh, we affectionately call him him Bernard, but Lincoln and his sister uh, Helena, because they've done a phenomenal job of rallying our community. Um, what's sad to me is when I see someone like a Angela Corey, who to me, and, and, and in the beginning I got bits and pieces of this thing, but it seems to be a personal thing for her, um, not personal as in um, personal me against you, but personal, there's a uh, an agenda here. I'm not sure what yes. her agenda is. But when I look at the propaganda that she's putting out, um, she's putting out information, but if you're going to put the information out, let's put all of it out. Um, you can't piecemeal and put bits and pieces of it out and then, you know, justify your actions based on um, partial pieces of information and then falsehoods. And I go back to what you and Marissa were discussing in her interview. You know, how in the world could you base your entire case off of a liar? Someone who mm-hmm. has you know, been known to be an abuser, not just to Marissa, but, you know, he gets on national news and national television and brags about the fact that he has five baby mamas, like that was some you know, grand award that he's supposed to have. And, you know, the fact that he hit all of them except one. Now, you're going to take your whole case and base it on what he's telling you, Everything that Marissa has said from day one has been consistent. Everything that she told them, you can walk into the house had they done a complete investigation, um, would have you know, verified everything she said. At the end of the day, he had no business putting his hands on her, none whatsoever. Well, and you I know, I'm really that. concerned about the, investi- the initial investigation and the initial arrest. The the lack of the initial investigation yes. is probably yes. the way that I could find it because again from what I was told limited interview of her uh, when there was a, an incident in the bathroom never went in investigated the bathroom never took pictures of the bathroom never went into the garage to verify that the garage wouldn't wouldn't go down but the kids verified in their testimony that they entered the front door that. There was an intermittent issue with the garage. Um, and then, you know, I have to laugh because you mentioned that, you know, you have a five foot nine, two hundred and forty pound abuser compared to a five foot one inch person that's, you know, above forty. And actually Angela Corley put something out there that said something to the effect that this five foot one woman went up to this five ten guy and um Hit him in the eye. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm sure in that incident, if you're beating me down, and you, you know, that big, I'm coming. You know, I'm gonna protect myself, but I might be trying to push you off. Well, if you get hit in the eye, because I'm trying to get you off of me, that makes sense. But for him to have one little scratch over under his eye, and I have bruises in my head, I have bruises on my arm to the point where I had to go to the hospital to be cared about. And mm-hmm. all you can do is show one picture of an eye. You know, again, she says that she does things that make sense, but I'm sorry, I don't know what kind of mathematician she is. That doesn't make sense to me. Well, if you look at the letter 
that she is sending to um, people who write to her about this case. Mm-hmm. Then you understand where she's coming from. This is political. Oh, very much so. Very much so. There's so. I mean, everything she puts in here is her. I can't even say just this truth. They're untruth. What she's saying is, I have an angry woman. Well, you know, my thing is, and then she actually puts herself into, I have two kids. Okay, and what? You have two children. So if you're telling me that you can sympathize because you have two children, then to me you should be looking at it from Marissa's perspective. Because I know for a fact Marissa would do nothing to hurt those kids that were in the house at the time. She took Mm -hmm. care of those kids. She she didn't treat them as a stepchild. She treated them as her own. So I know she never would have done anything to harm those kids. She wasn't the aggressor. She wasn't the person that started the argument or was that hitting anybody. And she never would have went in the house or back into the house a second time if she could have gotten out through the garage with her car. But you're trapped. She she listened. It was almost like everything that Marissa said meant nothing. She took nothing into account as far as what came out of Marissa's mouth. And here's the thing. She was offended that Marissa did not take her plea deal of three years because Marissa's stance was, why should I take three years when I did nothing wrong? I was defending myself. And I was the victim. Yeah, I'm the victim. So, you know, her arrogance now says, well, you know, I can't do anything because I basically offered her three years and she turned me down. You know, it's really something when when you carry that much power or you think you carry that much power because at some point in time it goes to your head. And it seems mm-hmm. to me that there's something going on here. Well, it, it is very clear that the the powers to be in the state of Florida do not want to reserve this law as a standard for victims of domestic violence. It is very clear, however, that they do want to reserve this this law for people like George Zimmerman. I I don't understand it. You have a man who was told by the police after they asked him, are you following this child? Yes, I'm following him. We don't need you to do that, sir. He blatantly disregards their order and goes over and kills And murders a 17-year-old. Murders him with, you know, carrying... and, And you turn around and you let him walk free? Mm-hmm. And then you have someone who was actually getting getting beaten, that was, you know, repetitively beaten, was trying to escape, and all she did was warn him, uh, give him a warning shot to say, get away from me, and you're going to put her in jail for 20 years. I don't understand that. Mm-hmm. And then so across this country, you have police officers who say that they are threatened by people who are, who are handcuffed, and they shoot. They are threatened by... Um, an 18-year-old girl, and they shoot. They are threatened by a 15-year-old boy who is black, and they shoot. It doesn't make because sense. Because they feel they, they are defending themselves. None, uh, Nothing about this case makes sense. And we and need to let Rick Scott know that it cannot stand, that he's going to have to do something about his state attorney and how she has behaved in this case. Definitely. 
And it's sad because, you know, the the judge, you know, one comment I heard, and again, this is what I'm hearing, was that we made a request for a retrial. And the statement was made, well, at least this is my interpretation, and again, I could be wrong, well, yeah, okay, you know, I just don't see where I can overturn the ruling that the previous judge has made. So mm-hmm. my interpretation of that statement was, are you saying you can't overturn it because it was wrong and she's a friend of yours and she's a colleague and you don't want to go down that path with her? Are you saying that you can't overturn it because le- legitimately there's no justification for you to mm-hmm. overrule it and give us a, a hearing? And to be perfectly honest, I think it was the first option. But you can't play with politics with people's lives. I can't mm-hmm. not do right because I'm 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 afraid of the repercussions of me undoing what some other judge did. Well, if the judge did it and it was wrong, then justice says that you have to correct that error. That's your job. Well, there's no doubt that the good old boy system and white supremacy reigns in law enforcement and the judicial system in the state of Florida. And we'll we'll extend that. Now I understand that um, Representative Corrine Brown is taking some action. Do you know what that is? I do not. Um, unfortunately, I'm still at home in South Carolina. My husband is there. He was actually there during the trial. I mean, during the hearing. Um, but I understand that she stood up during the hearing and gave them you know, some words of wisdom um, about the unfairness of it all and about how um, other cases kind of related to this from a statistical perspective supported the fact that there was a pattern here and that something needed to be done. But I'm not sure exactly what she has committed to. Uh, I know the family is definitely going to follow up with her hopefully today um, mm-hmm. because she even indicated that there were some attorneys that were you know lining up, you know, ready to take the case off because we have to go to the appeal process. So hopefully we will make contact with her today and at least get the ball rolling in that direction. Um, But any support, and we do appreciate her standing up and acknowledging the unfairness Mm -hmm. of this, and hopefully she can go and, and, um, you know, write this, help us Mm -hmm. write this. Mm -hmm. Well, I've known Corrine Brown for a long time, um, since the 70s, so since the 80s, before she was elected her first term while she was in the Florida House uh, and Senate. Um, And I think that you can depend on her word. Go ahead, Lincoln. Yes, I I had the opportunity to speak with Congresswoman Corrine Brown before trial, and I, I shouldn't say trial, but before the actual hearing. And after the hearing, she came over to shake my hand of my daughter before we left, but our, our words, we we are not going to stop. She's going to help this family move forward, and we will be talking again very soon. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, it, it sounds like we're getting some, some kind of feedback, um, both from me and from everyone. I don't know if people are hearing it. I've asked people in the chat room whether or not they're hearing it. 
Um, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to a break and try to refresh our board here. And I hope I don't lose you, but Lincoln and Helena, if I lose you, please do call back. You're listening to Our Common Ground at uh, Speaking Truth to Power uh, following our live interview with Marissa Alexander, who was sentenced to 20 years in prison on three counts of aggravated assault. Uh, and we will take your calls at 347-838-9852. It sounds like we have lost that little um, we're getting uh, on, the, on, the, on this um, broadcast. I'm Janice Graham, and I want to remind you that on Saturday night, 10 p.m., on our regular broadcast at Our Common Ground, we're going to be talking about the modern-day enslavement of African Americans and have we fallen in the trap in the age of Obama with Professor Vernelia Randall of University of Dayton Law School. We'll be right back. It's a huge waste, and it's a corruption and a distortion. It's like it's a profound neurosis that nobody examines for what it is. It feels crazy. It is crazy. And it leaves, it has just as much of a deleterious effect on white people and possibly equal as it does black people. This is Our Common Ground. Thank you for being with us tonight. And we're back. Thank you very much. I I hope that the echo has gone away, and I'm hoping that our producer in our chat room will let us know uh, whether or not it has. Lincoln, let me ask you, what are the plans uh, in the organizing to garner support for uh, Marissa Alexander, and how can we continue to help the people who are listening to this broadcast? Well, like I mentioned earlier, we are growing the, the grassroots movement to spread the word, spread the facts, and continue to, to garner more support. We We are asking people to... Um, also contacted the governor uh, now that it is left the court. The governor would be able to pardon her or offer clemency. We we have the capability of putting the, the information on the clemency board so that they can review the information and make a recommendation to the governor based off of the information. So it, as far as... as help from from the everyday listeners, you can visit our, our website at www.marissaalexander.com where we have all the facts and, mo- most importantly, the legal defense fund options. We have two ways that people can donate. You can donate either through PayPal or using the WePay option, but both of them will go directly to 
the legal defense fund for our appeal attorney that will be mm-hmm. helping us move forward through through this case. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things, too, that I would like to um, piggyback on what you are suggesting, and that is that unlike we were we were way too late on contacting members of the clemency board pardon board in the case of Troy Davis let's not do that folks again the number for Go- governor rick scott is 8504887146 you can google use your google machine to find a number for the office of uh, U.S. Representative Corrine Brown to encourage her to continue in her efforts for Marissa Alexander. Because, you know, sometimes people get something else comes up, the gay marriage, the whatever happens, and it comes up and we get distracted. We cannot get distracted here because right now as I listen to Marissa Alexander, I simply want to say if you live in the state of Florida, get the hell out. But there are some other things that we can piggyback on, strategies that should be in place for Trayvon in support of justice for Trayvon Martin. And that is if you've got a vacation um, scheduled for Florida and in your consciousness you decide, I'm not going to support the tourist industry because the tourist industry is the heart of the state of Florida, and you decide you're going to cancel it, Write the governor and let him know. Write the tourist board and let let them know. Write the state attorney general's office, the state attorney's office, Angela Corey, and let her know. Because you didn't do right, I'm not supporting the tourist industry for Florida. The other thing that, that we can do is to make sure that we're writing to domestic violence advocacy groups, the national Center for Domestic Violence, the hotlines, call the hotlines, call the people who are in your local area as well as the national organizations. That is how you get steam going on an issue. You start with the people you know and then you work to the people you don't know, and you call accountability for people who have acted against the principles of justice. And I would say that those people are Angela Angela Corey, the judge, and you can go to MarissaAlexander.com, the judge who revoked her bond, the judge who couldn't find a way out, and see, I, I don't buy that you can't find a way out. Because a judge can call a state attorney in and say, look, these charges that you have brought, they're bogus. Figure out another way to do this. I'll hold over the case until you figure out another way. The other is that... Hey, Janice, Janice, I would like to comment on on that sentiment there that you just made. During the, the Stand Your Ground motion, the judge begged the prosecutor to work something out because she did not want to rule on that motion. It took three different days just to complete that that motion hearing when all it took was probably three or four hours. But because of the testimony that was given, the evidence that was shown, she begged the the lawyers to work something out because she knew that something wasn't right. 
Mm-hmm. But she eventually ruled not in our favor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Helen, are you still with us? Is Miss Alexander still with us? Oh no, that was Karen Jenkins, her stepmother. Karen Jenkins. Karen, are you still with us? I am. No. I, okay. Oh, okay. Go ahead. I, I, I want to get into another aspect of the organizing around this. And that is just as we did um every every city, major city, Jacksonville has a regional office of the Department of Justice. The Department of Justice has a division that deals with nothing but issues related to violence against women. There is a new law that was enacted last year, the Violence Against Women's Act. We can require the Department of Justice to do right in regard to Marissa Alexander's um, motion on Stand Your Ground. Because in Stand Your Ground is a defense for women who have been victims of battering. And Marissa Alexander clearly was. So what I'm suggesting, just as we organized... uh, uh, rallies for Trayvon Martin across this country that we begin to approach our regional offices of the Department of Justice to investigate whether or not the courts I'm sorry the the prosecutor's office did not acknowledge laws which govern how you deal with issues of domestic violence. The other is to explore whether or not the race of Marissa Alexander, an African-American woman, was a consideration, which it should not have been, in how this prosecutor came forward with charges. The other is whether or not the police department should have invoked the services of a domestic violence worker at the time, counselor, at the time that Marissa Alexander was arrested. Because, you know, nobody's talking about the battered women syndrome and how it is operating here. Our number is 347-838-9852. We have Karen Jenkins, um, the stepmother of Marissa Alexander with us, and Lincoln Alexander, her ex-husband, who is the advocate leader in this case. If you'd like to talk with with us, and you can dial us at 347-838-9852. I don't think anybody has considered that Marissa is clearly at the time of this battering, and it was exacerbated by the fact of the hormone surge of having given childbirth that she was behaving very clearly as someone 
under the battered women's syndrome. And that is especially true when she went back at the time that her bond was revoked and 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 the injunction was um implemented and that put her back into jail. I mean, folks, you and I both know we we know that these things are available, that law enforcement, that prosecutors, that defense lawyers have all of these resources available for women in these circumstances. And I want to know why it was that Marissa Alexander wasn't proffered the proper counseling at the time of her arrest that would have been part of the record going forth for her defense. You're listening to Our Common Ground, a special edition on this afternoon, and we'll take your calls at 347-838-9852. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. I'm Janice Graham, and you're listening to Our Common Ground. like this, the, the, the breadth and the depth of this kind of injustice really does make me break out in a cold sweat, because they're setting the tone. This is president. You know, if you have a daughter or a niece or a granddaughter or whoever who is, lives in the state of Florida, and they are at risk in an intimate uh relationship where violence is involved, this is what you get. I listened to this strong, wise woman today, and I am way beyond outraged. And I'm hoping that each one of you will call Rick Scott, and I've posted the the number in the chat room is 850-488-7146. He's a governor. Um, you know, I, I, you, you don't try to beat up on people you're trying to ask for their help, but he is the governor of white Florida. You hear what I said? He's the governor of white Florida. He governs, he sees it as his constituency. And for as for Angela Corey, and her number is 904-630-2400, you ought to be picking up the phone. If locally you have hotlines, most local TV stations have hotlines where you can call in, you should be calling in and expressing your outrage at this injustice. Now, I know that Reverend Al Sharpton has been covering this on his radio show, 
He's been covering it on his MSNBC broadcast. Um, Melissa Harris-Perry covered it on her program on last Saturday. But you should be calling others. Ed Schultz has mentioned it. Lawrence O'Donnell has mentioned it. Uh, But nobody on my local shows up here in Beast Boston has mentioned it on local local news. People don't know, don't know as Lincoln just said, people don't know and that is the biggest hurdle to get over. And if it weren't for broadcasts like mine and broadcasts like Reverend Al Sharpton and and India Declare and Joe Madison um and GW on the Hill you still wouldn't know about it. But guess what? You have to pay for Joe Madison. You have to pay for GW on the Hill. You have to pay for uh, Reverend Al, but you can get it otherwise. So one of the things that we need to be clear about is that people like Angela Corey and James Daniel get away with this stuff because they know people won't hear about it. Now, I'm on the air every Saturday night, 10 p.m., speaking truth to power and ourselves, because we have to be clear about what we own. We own some of this because um, um, we know that women in our communities are not being offered safety and sanctuary. And that means their children. I mean, you've got to listen to this father saying that. His 11-year-old daughter pleaded for the life of her mother this morning in a courtroom in Jacksonville, Florida. And I want to ask the question, where was the NAACP? (coughs) Excuse me. Where was the NAACP? And then they want to talk about their membership drive. I want to ask the question, where were some of the prominent African-American attorneys in the state of Florida? Where was Willie Gary? There are very few places, major places in this country, where I have not been doing um, justice work. There are four major black law firms in the state of Florida who depend upon the business of African Americans. But they have practices that they do big things, like Willie Gary's practice. He's he's a trial lawyer. So we have to begin to hold ourselves accountable, and that's why I say we speak truth to power and ourselves. Here we are, one year later, more than one year later, 
that Marissa Alexander has been sitting in a jail on some bogus nonsense with a judge in Jacksonville, Florida, who decided, and I go back, I have to go back to Natty Reb, you know where I'm going. Ray Wimbush, you know where I'm going. How many years ago I was saying the same thing about another woman who was a victim of abuse and the justice system refused to protect her and made her the prisoner. You know who I'm talking about. So here we are because we haven't insisted because we allowed 25 years of the media and the politicians, and we joined in on the chorus of demonizing young black boys because they decided to wear hoodies or they decided to swagger their pants or they decided to like rap music or hip-hop music. We allowed this society to demonize them, so George Zimmerman, comes along and murders one of them in cold blood. Now, I'm looking in the chat room, and Nancy Lockhart is telling us that the Black Eagle interviewed Rico Gray. We had better take our African selves and get into our African brains and understand that white supremacy works differently. And we have to get into the core of how it works in order to seize our piece of justice. And it's not in this case with Rico Gray. I mean, anybody can have anybody they want on their radio station and on their radio show, but I tell you what, at our common ground, if I can't say I respect you, you don't get my mic. And he should be held accountable for that. He's too old and too experienced to be caught into a web of having this man spew his lies to a national audience of millions. And as Fannie Lou Hamer says, if we don't get off of our asses and do something, God is not going to put it in our laps. She doesn't say asses. I do. Um, We've got to get beyond ourselves because justice does not seek us out and they can talk about the arc of justice bending that sounds real good at bend sword justice and a blah, blah, blah. But guess what? Marissa Alexander sits in jail t- today and has to do her 20 years unless something different happens. And nothing different is going to happen unless you do something different. Lincoln Alexander, again, my brother, I love you and I respect you, and your children can always hold their heads up high and be proud of who you are as a man. And I am hoping that all of our sons will grow up to stand as you have stood. 
and thank you so very much. Thank Ms. you for, Jenkins, for having me on. Don't don't go away. I'm I'm just trying to okay. um um Karen Jenkins. Thank you. Because any woman, any person who stands to fight for justice has to have somebody, especially family, watching their back, holding their back, and holding them up when they falter. And and she does. She she truly has a village. Her mother, Helen, loves her and, and is actually there with her every step of the way. Her sister, Lena, uh, of course, is there with her. Her brother lives in South Carolina. Uh, he's there and, and actually was able to come down today, Raphael, her father, of course, um, and then she has two younger siblings who, who are my my children um, who love her dearly and are praying for her and, and trying to see what, what, what they can do. So she truly has a village in addition to all yeah. of the other uh, extended family and friends that have continued to be there to support her and to support us, and we just thank them all and, and, and thank you. And, and Nancy for all that you have done and um, will continue to do for us. So um, it's you, you know that you're blessed when you're just going through your day-to-day life, but you really recognize your true blessings when you go through crisis and see all of the angels that the Lord sends your way. And you well, have been an angel. Nancy has been an angel to our family. Well, thank you very much, and uh, please again extend my... Uh, very big thanks to Marissa for joining us today. We're going to take this interview and we're going to ask everyone uh, to send the link so that people can hear her tell her story. Lincoln, thanks so much. Karen, thank you so very much. That was um, Lincoln Alexander, the ex-husband for... Uh, Marissa Alexander, and her stepmother, Karen Jenkins. And we thank you for being with us here at Our Common Ground. Um, We want to uh, let you know, if you are new to us, that we do sponsor a black radio collaborative network, TruthWorks Network, and we have some fine programming uh, there. And we hope that you'll join us tonight at Enter the Lion's Den at TruthWorks Network, and I'm sure we're going to be continuing our discussion about the sentencing of Marissa Alexander. And on Saturday at TruthWorks Network, um, the Alpha Show at 3 p.m., the finest of political talk, and I'm sure Alpha is going to be covering the political implications and underpinnings in this case with uh, Governor Rick Scott and State Prosecutor Angela Corey. Uh, There is something in the mix here having to do with George Zimmerman, why this woman has become so rabid about Marissa Alexander. And then on Saturday night here at Our Common Ground, please join us with Professor Vernelia Randall of the University of Dayton Law School. We're going to be talking about modern-day enslavement of African Americans under law and whether or not in the era of Obama we have fallen in a trap. 
and we certainly have to find our way out. Uh, you can also uh, sign up for our weekly newsletter at Our Common Ground by going to ourcommonground-talk.ning.com. We have a website, www.ourcommonground.com, and we're on. you can find us on Facebook. Our, send us tweets. Twitter us. Follow us on Twitter, JaniceOGC. OCG. It's been a wonderful thing to be able to hear Marissa Alexander talk about her strengths. Uh, to talk about, I mean, I, I, you have to worry. What does a person do when they're sentenced to 20 years? But more importantly, is what are we going to do? How are we going to organize ourselves? All this technology, all these applications and Androids and Apple and iPads and smartphone devices, what are we going to do? How can we strategically organize ourselves to fight the lies that have placed this woman in a position where she has not seen, she has not seen her baby girl born nine days before this incident with her twin daughter and son that she cannot enjoy and she cannot fully enjoy the relationship that she has with her sister and her mother, her stepmother and father. And we will continue not only to follow this story, to bring some leadership to the organizing. Please write, call Rick Scott. I'll give you the number again. The number is for Rick Scott, the governor of Florida, 850-488-7146. The number for Angela Corey, 904-630-2400. And to get more information about you, how you can help, marissaalexander.com, justiceformarissa.blogspot.com, and Our Common Ground on Facebook. We thank you for, for joining us uh, this afternoon in this special edition. Hope you'll join us on Saturday night, 10 p.m., our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves, broadcasting black, bold, and brave. Our Common Ground, talk that matters, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Thank you for being with us tonight.
This is our common ground. Oh,